Hey, it's Damian Barling reminding you to check out the Sacramento Kings podcast right here on the Hoop Ball Podcast Network for all of your Sacramento Kings news and notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Damian Barling, and you can follow us at Hoop Ball Kings. Don't miss a single episode of the Sacramento Kings podcast right here on the Hoop Ball Podcast Network. The following is a Hoop Ball presentation. on welcome to another edition of nba today i'm your host corbin ford and listen you have a treat today or at least you have a treat. i have to include myself in this too uh i got co-founder and director of scouting for red team scouting personal friend podcast mentor the guy who actually got me my first startup <laughs> as a guest on a pod all the way back when um mr alex west alex man how are you doing? <laughs> You're just giving me way too much credit. Now I feel like I have a lot to live up to, and uh, I don't know if I can do it. So thanks for just weighing that down on me right at the start, <laughs> giving me like this lofty goal I got to live up to. But I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing good. How about you? You know, man, I'm doing good. I can't complain. You know, at the end of the day, getting a chance to talk hoops and trying to find some semblance of normal and all the craziness is is great. And I mean. You know, I'd love to talk about a better team than the Cleveland Cavs, but um, that's the team we got today. So uh, I'm excited to kind of get that started with you. Um, We're just going to do a full kind of off-season preview slash review of the Cavs and how they've been this year. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the bottom teams in the East uh, finished 19-46, and 46, bottom in both offensive and defensive rating. Um, I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I'm just going to throw it to you, Alex. Initial thoughts when you think – Cleveland Cavs this year, having watched all the film that you have and just knowing what you know about this team? I think there are a couple of big things here that you have to talk about. And the number one thing right off the top for me, Corbin, is there's no way to bury the lead on this. They drafted Colin Sexton in 2018. They drafted Darius Garland in 2019. They also drafted Kevin Porter Jr. Now, if you take the amalgamation of those players, that's one good NBA player. They all have different variations of what they are. But essentially, you're looking at combo guards a uh, little bit of off-ball utility a little bit of creation but not enough to be a primary initiator uh, so it's a really weird group of guys and I think that's the big thing for the Cleveland Cavs like you know 1946 obviously season over didn't make the bubble um, there's the Kevin Love trade which hangs over everything there's Andre Drummond which we will get into which is a trade that made a lot of sense but where does it go what does it lead to what's the next step i think there are just really big questions hanging over them but but none bigger than than who are these three guys can we build around all of them can we build around any of them uh, and i think that's something that you know there's not going to be an easy answer to yeah that the, honestly that has been i mean you said you can't bury the lead on it's been the most compelling it's been the most poignant it's been the big piece of this team just watching uh, the attempted rebuild uh, part two sans LeBron leaving. And this route, you know, you start off, like you said, with the drafting of uh, a Colin Sexton and, you know, you a uh, uh, shooting guard sort of in a point guard body. Um, you know, he has the ball for so much, but I don't think that he's a super great passer. I mean, forget just the raw three assisted night, just in general. I feel like he's very much of a, a ball pounder, even though he scores pretty well and he had a market improvement this year from three. And then you kind of compound that with 
another guard in Darius Garland who uh, I definitely has better uh, passing ability, I'd say, than Sexton in my own opinion, but is pretty much cut from the same cloth. And you say, okay, we're going to build with these two young guys who aren't great defenders and pretty much do the exact same thing and, and then have another guard who I think is a little more promising, another guard slash forward in Kevin Porter. And it's like these pieces, I, I don't know if I see the next great Cavs team kind of coming from the ashes, starting with these three as the foundation. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. So you've got these two guys, and you hear this comparison all the time. You hear, okay, well, the the Blazers did it with with Dame and CJ, or the Raptors did it with Lowry and Van Vliet. You can play two point guards together, or you can play two smaller guards together. But the thing about these two guys that makes it a little more difficult is neither one of them, with Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, you've got two of the smartest off-ball position defenders in the league, guys who can you know, play, play at that point of attack, but off the ball can still be disruptive. Uh, just really, really great defensive IQ. With the Blazers duo, you have two guys who can initiate the offense, who can get into the lane, who can create havoc, create warps, be able to attack the defense, and create for other players. With Sexton and Garland, you don't really have either of those things. You don't have a great penetrator. You don't have a guy who gets to the line a lot. And you don't have that defensive prowess. So the idea that you can build or construct a roster that has any semblance of being a playoff roster around these guys is a tough sell for me where I'm sitting right now. You know, And I went through it. And like you said, Sexton improved much improved this year uh, showed he could shoot the ball particularly as a catch and shoot guy um he was he was really nice at doing a lot of things i mean but you hit the nail on the head he's not a pass first player he's not even a player who can create with passing in fact he's fourth percentile in assist percentage among guards he's second percentile when you compare assist to usage percentage so you know that those aren't great numbers to look at for your league guard and i think the Cavs actually kind of figured that out late in his rookie season. Uh, and, they, and they moved him off the ball a little bit more. And, and, you know, like you said, there has been some success, particularly with his shooting splits. I mean, he shot 38% from three this year. That wow. is unbelievable. That's a, that's a really great clip for a guy, you know, who's 6'1", 6'2", probably being defended by a two guard, uh, did a lot of nice catch and shoot work. Um, he, he also has always been a good free throw shooter, even in Alabama. There was room to see that kind of improvement, but Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. So you get a guy with Sexton who doesn't really have the body of a two guard. He doesn't really have the skills of a one guard. He was not good this year in, in pick and rolls. Uh, he only got free throws about 9% of the time out of pick and rolls per synergy this year, um, which is not great for somebody who's initiating. Um, and the dichotomy is that like, okay, well, he's, he's, Creating shots, you know, he's low percentile in points generated. He's 36 percentile in points generated, which is points plus assists. But he's 65 percentile as a scorer. So obviously he can put the ball in the hole. Okay, that's great. You, you kind of know who this player is. You kind of get a picture of him. And then you flip over on the other side and you have Darius Garland. Now, Garland was a player that we were particularly infatuated with. Um, and funnily enough, my partner, Estakio, at Red Team mm-hmm. Scouting, big Cavs fan. Okay. But... but <laughs> The unfortunate part is we didn't love the fit with Sexton. Um, Garland only played five games in college at Vanderbilt. Okay. And the only team that he really should, you know, got to play against that was of a high quality was, um, was USC with Kevin Porter jr. Actually. And (laughs) ironic. (laughs) Yeah. And so they, um, 
there wasn't a lot to work with there. But what we did see in the film was here's a guy with great catch and shoot ability. Okay, you know what? We've actually kind of seen that. Now, his shooting splits haven't been spectacular, um, but you know, he shot 35%, got, got to show, I think he shot about 40.7% in catch and shoots this year, which is pretty damn good for a guy his size. And so, uh, but here's the, here's the flip side of the Darius Garland coin. And we knew this going in. Garland is not a player who can get into the lane and initiate. So you've got Sexton, good shooter, a guy who can do a little bit of some things, doesn't really create for teammates. Now you've got Garland, who doesn't really warp the defense, doesn't really get into the lane. In fact, he gets to the line 1.2 times per game and has the lowest free throw rate among guards with greater than a 20% usage. So that's kind of the problem in a nutshell is we don't really know what it is these two guys do well separately. And then when you put them together, now you have uh, you know whatever, however many amount of minutes, say, you know, say they're playing – 60 minutes a game in in the one and two spot there of that. We don't really know what's going on and see that that makes it. I mean, you just did a a thorough breakdown on just these young players of the future, mainly just the three between um, Sexton and Garland and a little bit of Porter as well. But my thing is as bad as Garland was, and you know, you, you mentioned some of him just not having a lot of, of, of playing against high-level uh, competition in the sense that you he only played those five contests in, in Vanderbilt. He was already a step behind starting along in Cleveland, kind of playing catch-up there. So that came off an injury. I mean, he, yeah. he, he missed mm-hmm. the beginning part of the season, you know, the, the early parts of the season with injury. So so the curve, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a longer curve for him. But I, I guess the thought for me is, did you see – I mean, it doesn't sound – you, you sound uh, obviously measured in your take – on Garland, but is there hope that okay? There was, I mean, I watched a little, not nearly half as much, but a few games of him, um, some big ones, some just random games, and it seemed like there was some potential flash of the guy they drafted so high. Do you think? And my own opinion is no in this case, but that there is a, a, a scenario or, or a future with these two where the Cavs can play both Sexton and Garland long term. Because right now, the optimist in me says right now Garland a horrible rookie season. Yes, but you know, we still don't know his full potential. We still don't. I'm going against hope about them being undersized, horrible defensively, and like two cuts from the same cloth. But from from a from a superior scouting perspective, just kind of knowing like the playing style, is there like a, a situation or a world where they can in fact be, as you referenced, a Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, or a um, C.J. McCollum, Dame Lillard scenario? Well, you know, I mean, I think that's the model that they're always going to try to build on Uh, that, you know, you can look at these teams across the league and there's no right construction. Talent is the number one thing. It's not about, you know, I got to have a a two guard that looks like this. I got to have a big that looks like this. It's about finding what your niche is. And perhaps this was the market inefficiency from where Kobe Altman was sitting. Uh, Sexton was enticing. There was a lot to love in that, in that 2018 class. I mean, they picked up that pick in the trade that sent Kyrie Irving to, to Boston. Uh, that was kind of the, the jewel of it because none of the other pieces ended up being that great. And even that didn't end up being what they wanted to be. But when you look to Sexton, there was an enticing package. There was a guy who above all else just got after it i mean he you know if he, if you remember from that that college season he p- played in that infamous three on five game when they played against minnesota yep. with, with everybody fouled out and he he really got after it now there was a moment there in that game where you're like are they gonna come back and win this um and i think that's really what you 
you're coming off of a success a successful run. You're coming off your first title, and I think you know it's going to be a down a down couple of years as you sort of rebuild and retool and reconstruct. And then you get a guy like Sexton who's kind of fiery, who's going to get after it, um, and has good guard skills. Okay, and and then you get Garland next year, and and I'm, I'm rounding into the answer for your question here, which oh, is to yeah. say, which is to say, yes. I think you can build a decent team around these two, but it takes some superior roster construction. And there are almost no pieces on this roster that exist in a way that is uh, amplifying the talents of these two guys. I mean, we saw it early this season. You know, you remember, and, and you know, Corbin, it feels like the season was a thousand years ago. Uh, when <laughs> you think but you remember th- that Sexton and Kevin Love kind of got into it about getting love the ball in spots that he liked. And then love had so much to say about these young playing with these young guys, meaning uh, Sexton and Garland. And, you know, it's just tough to, to see it because the roster is just not put together in a way in any imaginable way to amplify these two guys. Now that can all change. Uh, you, you got the Andre Drummond's on a player extension this I mean, a player option this year. Maybe he opts out. Maybe there's a little cap money. Maybe there's a, another high draft pick coming. You know, they're, they're sitting at number two in the rankings right now. So the pieces could be there. But, man, it, it, from, like you said, from where we're sitting right now, it's it's a ways off. Oh, yeah, it, it's it's rough. And I liked what you pointed out about the pieces around um, these guys, these guards um, specifically. And I actually want to kind of circle over to some other players. One, I'm intrigued by, and I'm looking to get your take on in general, but that would be one Chetty Osman. Um, uh, you know, he's, what, two r- r- NBA seasons at this point. I don't really count his first one. I mean, it was really, I mean, I counted. It. it was his rookie season, but it was a lot of LeBron's last year. And I feel like rookies and young players on LeBron's teams, you know, let, let, let's just face it, they're not getting um, ample development time. But at this point, he's 25 years old. He's proven that he, he has good three-point shooting numbers. I think he shot 38% overall. Um, according to NBA.com, he shot 38.8% on catch-and-shoot threes this year. Um, defensively, it seems like he tries really well. And um, according to ESPN's um, DRPM metric, actually rates out better than players like uh, uh, Josh Hart or, or even like a Joe Harris, I guess. I wouldn't say comps to him, but guys that I would think are quote-unquote possibly better defenders than him on paper. But um, at the same time, he's had some weaknesses. I know he played a lot at small forward and like like a small ball four, but he seemed to me to kind of be too small to play small ball four, and he wasn't the greatest finisher around the rim. I know a lot of times he kind of just got there, which was great, and then it seemed like he kind of careened out of control. But I like his skill set as like a player who – can he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. And that's great because you're not going to get the ball often when, sadly, and this is, I guess, a good and a bad thing, when you have guys who will either great um, finishers or people who will demand the ball as far as, like, control of it in a Sexton, in a Garland, in Porter, in Kevin Love as he's around. So what do you think Osmond kind of is as a player? Is he just a solid th- three and sort of D player? Is he someone who's a, a, a solid starter? I mean, is it just him being on a bad team that I'm sure obviously some of the skills like the three-point shooting will probably translate, but just in general, um, is there anything to make of him two years in? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a semblance of a workable player there. The, the downside sort of with Chetty Osmond is that he's in year two and he's 25 years old. I mean, that's like <laughs> coming out of a senior year in college, you know, uh, that's that same kind of age. So the upside of, 
looking forward to a guy, you, you know, I mean, you, you look back at people who came into the league in 2017 and I'm just going to pull somebody at random here, but like mm-hmm. players, players in the 2017 draft. Okay. The number one pick was Markel Fultz in that draft. Markel Fultz is 22. So that's, you know, th- that when you think about, yes, he is in his second year in the league and yes, he has professional experience overseas. Uh, but that upward curve that, that NBA guys tend to love that idea that, you know, youth, plus athleticism is potential. Well, he's getting a little bit older in that curve. So that curve's kind of starting to flatten out. And, and I said that to say this, when you're 25 years old, you're a lot for most guys. And this is not true for everybody, but for most guys, you're kind of who you are. And for Chetty Osmond, that's a guy who, you know, he, he can shoot the three ball. Um, he's got some nice utility as a passer. He's more of a secondary passer, secondary creator, a guy who knows how to make the right passes and knows how to make some good reads. Um, and he's a, he's an all right defender. I mean, there's certainly not many all right defenders on this Cavalier squad, but I think he does well in spots. He does. You probably don't want him to be your number one point of attack guy for wing players, which for a decent number of games this season uh, against your against your Kawhi Leonard's and your LeBron James's and your Paul George's and your big wing creators, even guys like Gordon Hayward, he's going to draw those assignments a lot. And that's not really where you want him to be. Um, but no. as, as a contributor on a good team, yeah, I, I think he's a piece. Now, let me let me couch that and say. I don't think Chetty Osmond is a piece for this team. I think that he is somebody who can be sent out in a trade, maybe bring back an asset here or there. I think he's a little bit too, he doesn't, they're going to need really specific skills. I mean, we talked about these two guys, if they're going to build around them, which maybe that's the right path, maybe it's not. But if you, if you're going to build around these Garland and Sexton guys, you're going to need really specific wing defenders, similar to, what Atlanta, uh, what Lloyd Pierce has done in Atlanta and kind of constructed a roster around Trey Young with the idea that we need really rangy guys, we need switchable guys, and we need uh, be able to cover a lot of distance to help Trey defensively. So now that, that that kind of similar mindset is how you have to approach this. And, and Osmond's not really that kind of defender. He's not that rangy, switchable, super switchable, uh, point of attack can contain guy uh, that they really, really are going to need to sort to amplify all that talent yeah i can agree with, i i, I g- agree with a lot of what you're saying there especially on the defensive end i feel like he is someone who can be deployed in spots but i hadn't thought about him possibly not being the best fit for this team i thought okay he's not gonna rate out as like some star or even like a, a really solid go-to player but i mean you would agree at least a, like a useful or, or a, as quality maybe too strong aware of a rotation wing yeah, I think so. And and like you said, speaking of that, four, those minutes of the four, he played about 13 minutes, I mean, 13% of his minutes at the four this season. And the Cavs were an atrocious negative 20. Uh, their rebounding really kind of suffered while he was playing the four. So he probably is more of a three, um, despite being listed at six, eight, which is something in, in the modern NBA, we consider that to be, you know, nearly a big, definitely a forward. Uh, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't really profile that way i think he's more of a guy who's going to play that three who's going to be defending wings who's going to be doing a little bit more chasing um and playing away from the basket i agree with a lot of that i'm gonna come keep right on moving you mentioned forwards i'm gonna use as a very very loose transition into some of the forwards on this team um i'm gonna start as a lakers fan i feel almost obligated to do so 
with a former Laker forward who's sort of found his um his niche in Cleveland. Now, we're going to talk about Larry Nance Jr. Um, for one, I mean, you're still getting the same dunks that you get from him, but I think he's kind of evolved into like a master of all trades. And for me, at least, uh, from my rudimentary scouting or, or looking at him, I think one big thing was just his three-point shooting, which he kind of flashed in seasons with L.A. and was kind of like, oh, I'll stretch out that far, maybe not. That's sort of like, you know, when the opportunity arose. But he fully committed this year, um, you know, had nine points on the year, 8.2 rebounds, 52% shooting from the field. I was really impressed with the 33.7% from three, which isn't a super great percentage, but for a big, and particularly for uh, Nance and evolving his shooting, I think that's pretty solid. And uh, even more valuable as we start to talk later about um, – um, Andre Drummond as far as spacing on the floor. But um, wh- what do you think in terms of Nance in general? I feel like he was one of the, the few bright spots for the Cavs that played solid pretty much all year. Yeah, I like Larry Nance. And I think, like you said, you touched on the three-point shooting. That's something he definitely had to offer. I think the biggest problem, Corbin, is that Larry Nance is probably a center, uh, and, and he spent most of his minutes this year playing power forward. Sure. I mean, obviously, when you have Kevin Love, when you have Tristan Thompson, you know these guys on the roster, you're going to have to play multiple lineups with with mul- what we would consider to be multiple bigs, and uh, that was, I think, kind of the issue. I mean, here's the problem when you look at these, you look at these on-off stats, you look at the like the team stats, and you kind of start to take apart and parse the players when a team is really, really bad. Uh, and the, and the Cavs, I mean, we didn't really get to talk about this at the top, but like, look, mm-hmm. you're talking 25th in offensive rating, 29th in defensive rating, 29th yep. in defense, uh, effective, uh, you know, indifference. We're talking 30th in turnover percentage, 30th in free throw rate. Basically what I'm getting at here is there's <laughs> not a lot of bright spots. And, and, uh, you know, when you're trying to take that, overview picture it's hard to say okay look he was negative 3.4 points you know per 100 possessions as a power 40 seven points as a center well what does that really mean and and so i kind of have to fall back on what i saw and when i see larry nance i see a good player who you know who has that vertical spacing who can hammer down those dunks like you're talking about but a player who's managed to stretch his game and become a little bit of a pick and pop threat and i think that if you want to, and this is here again, we're talking about the same thing as with Chetty Osmond. He's 27 years old, so he's probably not on the timeline that they want him to be on, and now he's playing out of position. But like you said, there's a lot to like in this picture with Larry Nance, but again, it's it's just hard to find space for him playing with Drummond, playing with Love, playing with Tristan Thompson, and then also on the back end, not being a tremendous rim protector, uh, good rim detector, kind of deterrent not a tremendous rim protector not a guy who's going to throw up you know two or three blocks a night um and i think that's something that you could you he's a good piece but you probably like i said if you're going to be dedicated to this he's probably not a guy that's going to end up sticking around because he just doesn't fit with these two guys and that that becomes like that's the refrain that's kind of the chorus of what happens with cleveland is like okay you're looking at Good players. Jetty Osmond, good, probably a rotation player. Larry Nance, I think, is a rotation player. Um, even even what do you do with Andre Drummond, Kevin Love? The problem is, is there's no identity among these young guys. There's no – well, I, I buried the league because I do want to do a whole Kevin Porter thing here. But Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get, to, get to that in a second. But there's, uh-huh. no, there's no real identity – amongst amongst this team in terms of like what they're 
striving to become. And so I think, you know, the players that suffer most from that are guys like Larry Nance and Chetty Osmond, who could be contributing players on really good teams, but instead are kind of stuck in this idea where you're looking at their cleaning the glass page going, what does this guy do again? Like, what does he do? There's so many minuses. There's so many little blue squares. But when I watch him, I see a decent player. So that's kind of that, you know, cognitive dissonance you get with these these guys, these good players ending up playing on teams that aren't great and can't really maximize what they do. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I was going to say you were talking about not having enough room for uh, for Nance in some of these lineups with these bigs with Kevin Love and Andre Drummond. But let's not forget, they, you know, they had a game just before the shutdown where uh, Bernie Bickerstaff and we have to talk about B- Bernie um, or not Bernie. Bernie was the dad. JB, JB, JB I, yeah. I'm living in the 80s now. <laughs> JB Bickerstaff uh, rolled out a uh, Larry Nance, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson lineup against the Miami Heat with uh, basically Nance playing the three. Now, it worked. It was definitely unconventional. I don't think it's long term, but I thought it was interesting that Bickerstaff was trying to do that. And the fact that, you know, almost like, and again, I'm referencing the Lakers in this one, but, you know, they played a lot of people out of position to develop them. Um, Brandon Ingram played a lot of point guard back in 2017. Um, you also had Nance do it some at small four, but it was like a glaring no-no back then where now it's still not great. I mean, he just has nowhere near those kind of skills specifically, but it, it was at least something he could hide on, even though him chasing around Duncan Robinson was definitely kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, what are you going to do with this guy? Where are you going to end up with him? And uh, like I said, that's just this 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 ever present question with this Cleveland Cavaliers team that even as I watched film today when I was going through this I'm like what is this team I mean bad is the answer but like what <laughs> that's not good enough for me to sit and look at like I want to sit and look at and I want to see okay they're trying to do this they're trying to get here they're trying to and those things you know obviously I didn't get to watch all 60 whatever all 65 games mm-hmm. but as I watched film today I, I just kind of wasn't getting what they were going for um, and and I think you know there's just been a ton of turnover personnel wise. There's been a ton of turnover in the coaching staff. You just get to the point where it's like, okay, we got to find an identity somewhere. And, 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 you know, like I said, Nance Osmond, these guys are going to become the casualties of it. And, and hopefully it just becomes down the line for Cleveland. What can we recoup for Larry Nance? Because he probably is better search playing on another team. And we hope that there's a front office out there that wants to bite on him. Who's maybe a playoff contender. Uh, same with Jetty Osmond, same with Andre Drummond and Kevin Love, though they've sort of fallen a different group. Um, but you just got to hope you start recouping the losses here because there aren't, you know, outside of the, the pick, outside of the, the the number two pick in the 2020 draft, which is a class that doesn't necessarily have that top-tier talent like we've seen, particularly in the last two seasons with Zion and Luka, um, the, who were those just elite tier, and everybody kind of knew it except for apparently uh, Phoenix. Um, <laughs> and and, and yep. Sacramento didn't know that Luka was the elite talent. But you, you don't have that Luka Doncic or that uh, Zion Williamson this year. So uh, they're still going to kind of be looking, uh, kind of recouping losses you know, trying to figure out how to put a team on the floor that can do something. And, and, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this team and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the 2020 draft class at some point. And uh, there are no perfect fits for this team. And 
there there's not a guy who's going to come in and immediately fix all the problems the the ability the not defending threes well the not protecting the paint not getting to the free throw line there there's no fix all player mm. anywhere but but particularly in this draft class that lacks that higher end talent i think there are a lot of good players uh, but that higher end talent isn't immediately uh, available. Like you don't see it immediately when you watch this class, like you did with guys like Luca and Zion. So it's, it's a long road, um, yeah. <laughs> and, but you know, that's the, the very roundabout way to say, I think there are going to be some casualties and, and honestly for Larry Nance being a casualty of the Cavaliers experience, may be the best thing for him. You know, if he's playing next year with Dallas, um, you know, playing with Maxi Kleba and Porzingis and, and Dwight Powell and, you know, finds his place there or, you know, goes here or goes there, ends up traded here or there as a, as a piece. That's probably the best thing for him uh, because you get a little more structure. You get a little more idea as to what you want, what coaches want you to be. And, and maybe you get to play a little bit more center. Of course. And, and you know what? You Again, we're talking about casualties. I want to touch on the the incumbent bigs with uh... – with um, Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. And then I really want to get back to your uh, take on Kevin Porter Jr. Because one, he's interesting. Um, and then maybe kind of meander into the front office. Because I think there's, a, there's so much to dive into, Alex. Like, I'm glad to have you here kind of going in deep on this. Because as weird as this team is and as each player has some nuance and signs of promise or or where they're at, it's so many different directions. And, I mean, we haven't even covered John Beeline. I want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, there's so many different ways to go. So I'm going I'm to I'm jump over to uh, – we can kind of take them in the same go um, and then just kind of however deep you want to go in on this one, uh, Alex. But in terms of Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, you know, they were there for the glory days with the Clevelanders for you, with LeBron. They've been kind of the veteran bigs um, who've been – kind of guiding the young ones, maybe Tristan a little more than Kevin Love. Um, Love's put up some good numbers, but I don't think his impact has been the same that it once was, um, especially thinking that I, I really thought this would be the year that he would uh, build up some trade value and possibly trade to Portland or something, and it just never happened. And then for Tristan Thompson, he had almost like a renaissance that was very intriguing um, as something to observe and like observe and look at as far as him flashing some more offensive potential, Um Put a key average career high 12 points a night on 51% shooting. I mean, it it was solid. It almost felt like a fluke to me. But um, he I mean, it was it was really good what he did. Career best numbers on points and rebounds. So in general, you could break it as you please or kind of take it as a whole. But what do you think about with these two bigs who, I mean, ideally, I guess you would like to be gone from Cleveland at the end of the year if you're really trying to dedicate to the youth movement or whatever, whatever direction you're going for as far as kind of building from the ground up? Thompson, I actually I think there is a basketball argument to bring Thompson back. He does a lot of things really well. I mean, we saw how impressive he could be in those stretches playing in the LeBron era. He's a guy who is, there's this like group of rebounders guys like Robin Lopez kind of falls into this same group. Um, that are really, really annoying. And I say that in like the nicest way possible. Tristan Thompson is so annoying because (laughs) the thing that he does is he is, he is, consistently on the glass he is you know just imposing his will making sure that maybe he's not beating you all the time but you always have to be aware of where tristan thompson is and that's reflected in stats he got four offensive rebounds a game this year uh he's a guy who is just annoying now i don't know you know 28 29 years old if he's a guy who's going to want to hang around in this rebuild movement he's a free agent this this offseason so Mm -hmm. 
there was a lot of talk about trading him. Nothing ever materialized. It's hard to say which direction that was. Did Cleveland really want him to come back? I think that's a very real possibility. Uh, uh, or, you know, was there just nothing that really worked? And, and then, of course, they didn't end up buying him out. So uh, I think Tristan Thompson still has some good some good skills that would really benefit this team, particularly as a role man, vertical spacer, again, just being generally annoying. Uh, I, I think those are things that young teams look for, particularly if, if you start to kind of hone in on who your pick and roll guards are, or, you know, even just screening for sec, even just screening for Garland and letting him kind of work off. it. something he did really early on at Vanderbilt and got into this year. He had kind of a renaissance late in the season and kind of found out who he was um, being able to settle in behind screens and just knock down jumpers. So I can see a path where you, you want to keep Tristan Thompson on the roster. Now, I don't know that they're going to do that. And, and like I said, he doesn't really fit out of the timeline, but, there is a path there as far as Kevin love. I mean, man, you know, this is the thing that we have been talking about. It feels like we've been talking about this for two whole seasons now. When, <laughs> not if they're going to trade love, just when and where, and you know, there, there's, there's no great answer for this. I mean, the Portland is the name that gets floated around. You've heard Boston because they lack a big or whatever. I mean, there you hear these names, but it comes down to this one thing for me mm-hmm. is, do you view Kevin Love as an asset? And I'm asking you, I'm asking you right now, do you view Kevin Love as an asset that teams want to acquire? Or do you view him as something you have to attach an asset to to get off the contract for? Because we're talking three years, 99 million still on this contract for a guy who's 31 years old, best days behind him. You know, and I think that's the that's the calculus that teams are kind of looking at. Yeah, I mean, here's, you're right. I, I agree. I I don't know. I think it's interesting in terms of – I think it depends on the situation because, you know, the his stats across the board this season, defensive rebounding, three-point shooting, it seemed in line with what he's done, you know, in, in, in previous years. Now, mind you, he is 31. Uh, the, uh, the chances of him continuing that or, or getting better are slim to none. You know, it's definitely going to be due for a decline. But I would think that in the right situation, I really thought Portland would be that – or another playoff caliber team that can kind of hide his weaknesses and, and make better use of his strengths, especially on the offensive end, that love could still make a difference. Now, that didn't happen in Cleveland. I mean, with him, he played in 56 of their 65 games, and you already mentioned being 26 in offensive rating, 29th in defensive rating. Um, according to Cleaning the Glass, the Cavs are outscored by 7.7 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. So he's not helping this team um, at all, but I, I think that his skills – being a, a very high-quality stretch big who can kind of help on the glass, I don't think that he's yet turned into, let's say, Ryan Anderson yet Um, in terms of just can be played completely off the floor and is such a liability he's out the league just because of his one end despite being such a good shooter on, on, on the offensive end. But I do think that it, it depends. On certain teams, you know, especially trying to get the leverage, if, if I'm a Portland team, yeah, I probably do want Kevin Love, but Yes, I'm going to treat him as if you need to attach a, a, a late pick or, or or some type of player on the back end of it for, for me to make it feel like I'm getting worth my while, even if he's a good fit for my team just because of the contract that you're trading with. That you're kind of – you're getting Kevin Love the player, and you're also getting this albatross of a contract that is, a, that is such a big deal. And, I mean, it's tragic to me just looking at Kevin Love because he got the deal. He said that this is where he wanted to be right after he inked it. And at the minute he said that, I was like, 
Oh, no. And I mind you, with Cleveland, the minute John Beeline signed on, I was like, oh, no. Like, there's a few things with Cleveland that I knew from the beginning were going to be like, this isn't going to work. But then you had him punching the seat in Toronto, chucking the ball at Chetty Osmond, telling uh, Colby Allman he had plenty of money when he was threatened with the fine. Like, you're right. He needs to go. But I, I guess here I am rounding into my answer. <laughs> I-, I think it really just depends on on the team. Because I do think in the right situation, he's a great asset. I wouldn't train him to, like, Charlotte and expect um, him to, to, to give a good impact. But on these middling teams that could use an extra piece, he's not the bump that'll take you over the top. But I think he's, like, a really good complimentary player who, who can help out as what he was in Cleveland, a really good third piece. And I think therein lies the problem. When you're looking at a, at a player who's got $99 million owed to him, it becomes Jeez. this this idea of like, can you construct a team, you know, around, around a 33, where a, a team that you're paying, you know, roughly 30, 40% of your salary cap to, to this guy who doesn't really have that, you know, if he doesn't block shots, he, he's not really a rim protector. He's really a, kind of a four or five tweener. Uh, you know, you, so you start to look at those like construction elements and it's really hard to see where he fits in now without the deal in a vacuum, you know, in the, in the non-contract world. Uh, yeah. I think there are a ton of places where Kevin Love makes a lot of sense. Uh, but when you start to look at, where does he fit in terms of that 33 million? Where's that 33 million go on a cap sheet? Uh, those, those options start to drop. Interestingly, uh, and this is the last thing I'll say on love, but interestingly, I do think he's a sort of a beneficiary of uh, beneficiary of his bad word. Uh, he is going to uh, probably find more suitors in the lowered salary cap here, obviously with the virus and everything, the, the cap, we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, but team controls, we're going to team control having marketable stars is going to become an asset, particularly for middle mark, mid, these mid middling market teams. Uh, and, and I think that Kevin love can be the beneficiary. I think that some team, now I don't know that it's a good team, uh, but but some team is going to have an interest, and in it. it may well be Cleveland. They may just think, okay, this is our guy. We're going to roll with him. We'll find a coach, be it J.B. Bickerstaff or whoever, who can sort of smooth out the wrinkles between Love and the young guys. But I do think he's a player who's going to benefit from uh, the, the fact that the cap's not going to spike. Uh, teams are going to have to look to make trades. There's going to be a sign-and-trade market. All these things sort of play in his favor in, in terms of getting out of Cleveland. No, and and that's true. And, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, like you said, what type of deal is going to be intriguing to monitor, especially given the situation and the fact that, I mean, in, in some cases, he's still an asset. I mean, <laughs> you gave a really good compelling reason as to why to be a little more sour on it. And this year, I, I really thought would have been a make-or-break year to prove to, that, that, you know, hey, I could be traded. Like, I'm still playing well. So the numbers aren't super great in regards to, you know, hey, I still put up good stats and my team kind of sucks. Trade for me, you know. But, um, all right, we're going to get to like our last, I guess, main addition and then kind of just look at it as an overview uh, type of aspect here. But the Cavs did make a trade. Um, <laughs> it was the most surprising to me when it happened. I didn't see it coming. I thought that the Trojans were going to sit pat. But, no, they uh, discarded Andre Drummond uh, to Cleveland for Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a 2023 second-round pick unprotected from uh, Cleveland or Washington. So Andre Drummond over to Cleveland, which was just it, – it, it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, forget the player option worth $28.7 million. Um, But he only played 
a very small sample size with Cleveland. Only eight games. And, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that player meshed with anyone. You know, like, he won. He started shooting threes like crazy over in Cleveland, which was kind of funny. But per clean the glass, 12% of his shots with the Cavs have been three-pointers, which is higher than any other year in his career. But he's not like a stretch big. He's not He's not a Kevin Love for certain. He's definitely not even like a Larry Nance. And I don't know what shows he could be a three-point shooter in his career aside from him taking them. Um, he shot 28.9% um, before the season, before it stopped. So I, I don't know about that. And then also, in general, I mean – his fit with these guys, yeah, he's a rebounding monster. But again, you're playing in a, in a, on a roster that has some ball dominant guards who are looking to create offense first and foremost for themselves. Though you you can obviously kind of fit in there as a rebounding, sop it up kind of big. You have a, a glut of bigs on the roster, and yes, Kevin Love will probably be moved, and and yes, Larry Nance as well. But for the moment, this is where you're at. Tristan Thompson being a free agent, but. We don't know the situation with that. He could completely return. Like, I don't understand the fit aside from Cleveland thinking, what exactly? Alex, help me out here. Well, it was a talent play. Uh, they didn't have to give up a lot to get him. Andrew, Andre Drummond is a name. I mean, he's a guy that people know. And you look at the counting stats and you go, oh, 17 a game, 11 boards. Here's a guy who's, you know, blocking shots. Uh, he, I think he was probably top 10 in, in block shots this year. The the analytics era has not been kind to players like Andre Drummond because you can kind of look at the stats. You see a great player on the stat sheet, and then as you start to take it apart, these stats are really empty calories. And and then that's just kind of where you, the, the league has changed around him, and it's not his fault, and it's very hard to change who you are. I mean, the idea that, yes, defensive rebounding is important, but it's a threshold. Uh, the idea is, the, or the sort of the question that you ask is, is this guy getting rebounds that nobody else on our team would have gotten? And with Andre Drummond, that's just not the case. Yes, he puts up these monster numbers, but the percentages kind of stay the same, whether he's on or off the court. They re- teams His team rebounds just as well with him off the court as he do on the court. So, yeah, monster numbers, and he's soaking up a lot of them, but the rebound rate, the rebound percentage is not going up. Uh, similarly, you know, he's a good score. He's a guy who actually gets the line a, a decent bit, but he's just not creating these super efficient looks. He kind of slows the offense down. He was for a long time in Detroit. He was very back to the basket centric. He's never really developed outside of just some flashes where he'll go for a week and have four assists for three straight games. There's not really been any passing field developed. He's not really a big to big passer. Um, So on the one hand, you got a player who was a former all-star. You got him for a second round pick. And I 100% think when you're a team like Cleveland, whether it's through, whether it's a salary dump or whether it's you're using your cap space to help another team facilitate a deal, taking on these riskier talent plays um, is good, but you kind of got to have an idea of what to do. And I, and I don't know that they don't I, like, you know, I'm not sitting in the room. I'm not saying that they just brought him on and that are sitting around going now what, um, <laughs> but from the outside perspective, now what? I mean, you, you, okay. You got Andre Drummond. He's got a $28 million player option. He's not, as I said, a player that necessarily is going to contribute in a super meaningful way to a winning team. He's a player who requires a lot of attention, um, 
in terms of how you run your offense in order to be impactful. He's got to have the ball in his hands. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. He kind of fits into a specific hole. So what happens? And I think the most logical answer is this. Andre Drummond has a $28 million player option this year. I think more than anything, that expiring deal gives the Cavs flexibility. And we didn't really get to see it that much but as i touched on earlier i I think that we're going to see a really trade heavy market or the possibility of a trade heavy market because of the cap ramifications of missing the last half of the season a 28 million dollar trade chip plus a garland or a sexton or a kevin porter gets you somewhere i don't know what we don't know what that is we don't know what it's going to be be it in October when when we start free agency, be it in December, be it in February. But I think the idea of having Andre Drummond, who can contribute for somebody maybe down the line, uh, or is a buyout candidate, or is X or Y or Z, having a $28 million deal to attach some assets to, if you want to go after a player, if you want to bring in a... I don't know. I don't even have a name to throw in here because you're not going. You're not going after a Bradley Beal, but if you want to bring in a player who is in that 25 to 35 percent of the salary cap range, well, now you've got the most important thing, and that's the matching salary. You don't have to cobble that together. And so, if if that's something they're looking for, I think that's the thing to me that makes the most sense. I really don't know. Uh, like I said, the issues are kind of all over the board with him, uh, but that's at least something that you can hang your hat on. You know, I, I that <laughs> lost me for words as far as I'm convincing that maybe it's a fit there. At least, like you said, talent play-wise and getting him on. Because I was so pessimistic about that move more than anything. Just because I was puzzled by it. Like, I, I understood. I mean, for one, you're right. You can't understate the value of having that expiring deal off the books. Or as a possible massive trade ship. Not only with the um, already obvious financial implications coming up, but also with you know, different teams trying to make moves and limited ways of doing so with, with little money and free agency to pursue. But um, I, I, I guess moving forward with that, you, you, we, we have Drummond here, you have the bigs you talked about going, we have this young core that we'll kind of circle back to with some, particularly with Kevin Porter Jr. But I'm, I'm going to kind of look at some of these guys and just kind of throw a smorgasbord at you here. Um, In my mind, the fringes of of the rotation, of the team, of the future, whatever the case may be, but just going to throw them all. Ante Zizic, Dante Exum, Dylan Windler, Alfonso McKinney, of course, former NBA champion as well, Matthew Dellavedova. Do you have any thoughts on any of these guys just before we kind of go back to more of these big picture things? Yeah, I like Dylan Windler. Uh, Windler, okay. four-year guy at Belmont, a uh, guy who shot like 42% on catch and shoots. Um, has not played a single minute in the NBA, dealt with stress fracture issue, just going to go through, had to go through a lot of things. Um, was also the Cavs um, union rep on that one union call. I thought that was really funny that they picked Dylan Wendler who hadn't <laughs> played a single NBA minute. But I actually really liked him coming out. I can't remember where I had him on my draft board, but he he was definitely in that like borderline first round grade for me. Um, yeah. I think he's a player who actually has a lot to contribute. Uh, just having a 
having a catch and shoot guy opens up so many options. Having a, a Joe Harris, having a Duncan Robinson, a guy who maybe he doesn't put the ball on the floor. Having a Clay Thompson, I mean, that's an extreme example of it, but a guy who doesn't put the ball on the floor a lot, but is automatic when he catches the ball. Uh, and I, I kind of think that's who Dylan Windler can be. Now, maybe he's not going to be that right out of the gate, um, but he's a really heady player. I think there's a lot to like in that package, and I do think he's going to contribute. I kind of like there was an, there's another guy that it, it may not work out, but in that sort of similar vein was Dean Wade, who had a really I, nice year at Kansas State, uh, was a two-way guy for the Cavs, and possibly um, definitely has some skills. I mean, he, he can he can ram at home. He can really dunk, um, but had some spacing, can do some things, pretty good free-throw shooter. Uh, I really liked him. He was a player that was on our board um, in, the, in the draft as well. So it's nothing. It's super exciting. Like you said, it's kind of the poo-poo platter. It's like what's left over on the buffet at the end of the night. But, yeah, you can if you pick through it, you, you can see some things there that are usable. See, I, I, this is why it's such a pleasure again to have you on, Alex, because you come for Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, but you are going to get some words on Dylan Winder <laughs> and Dean Wade. Dean Wade, yeah. And I knew as soon as I left, like I said up to those guys, I let you, I was like, you obviously were talking, and I'm sitting there going, oh, darn, I missed Dean Wade. And I thought to the back of my head, he's going to bring up Dean Wade. And sure enough, you bring up Dean Wade. I love it. Like, that's the detail you're getting today, y'all. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, draft is kind of my thing. So these were guys that I saw a lot of through, through the year. I mean, so, you know, I, I actually – probably know more about about Dean Wade and Dylan Wendler than I do about Alfonso McKinney. I mean, I've seen him play. I've yeah. seen Alfonso McKinney play for quite a few years now, but when it comes down to like strengths and weaknesses, when I look at him, it's like, okay, I, you know, I know who Alfonso McKinney was playing on Toronto and then playing in Golden State and then this year, but like, you know, I, I watched Dylan Wendler. I watched five or six games while he was at Belmont. I watched probably 10 or 11 games of Dean Wade play at Kansas state. So uh, those are actually guys I know a little bit better. So I, I, I didn't, I know it's kind of off the beaten path, but those are two guys that, you know, Wade probably doesn't develop into an NBA rotation player, but there is the possibility of a guy there. And if they can get him some minutes, I mean, he played two way, he played reasonably well in Canton this year. I thought he had a lot to contribute. So uh, yeah, that's look, let me let me let me diverge and, and go on tangent for a second. Oh, of okay. course, please. Okay, this is as I looked into the Cleveland Cavaliers, I was just kind of looking over like what assets they had, what assets they traded. Okay. okay, so they traded a pick, which made perfect sense at the time. LeBron, while LeBron was still there, they traded a second round pick to get off Richard Jefferson's contract. Okay, that second that. round pick became the forty first pick in the draft. Now, the forty first pick in the draft is a complete crapshoot and i'm not saying this is anybody's bad at drafting or bad at seeing the future or bad at anything what i'm saying is that 41st pick in the 2019 draft became eric pascal eric pascal played tremendously well and looks like he can be part of the rotation warriors rotation moving forward and when you are a team like cleveland who does not have a mark a huge market to lure free agents doesn't really have that marquee player who's going to compete for the all an all-star spot every year you have to make every single hit count you you can't swing for home runs and miss all that often 
you just have to connect on singles. You got to get guys on base and, and drafting an Eric Pascal at number 41 or making a Dean Wade into a productive player, finding a Dylan Wendler, getting a, a Kevin Porter. That's the difference in being a bottom feeder team that kind of hangs around in the lottery and building something for the future. I mean, obviously the league runs on talent and you've got to get that top tier stuff. Now, Maybe they're going to end up with a, you know, maybe a, an Anthony Edwards turns into a, a perpetual all-star, a guy who's who's making, you know, six, seven all-star games and, and becomes the face of the franchise. But even still, when you're drafting 41, when you're drafting with this second round pick, when you're picking up free agents, when you're scouting, you got to just kind of keep getting on base when you're a Cleveland team. And that's hard to do. And that's why there are you know, for a lot of people in the league, there are haves, there are have teams and there are have not teams. And these middle market teams kind of fall into that have not. Uh, so they have to do the things that are, you know, they have to double down on, on finding value in other ways. And I think through the years, we've seen teams in smaller markets, namely the San Antonio Spurs, who turned the 57th pick into Manu Ginobili. Or uh, Toronto is a huge city, but for some reason is not a huge market, probably because you have to pay income tax in two countries. Um, but they, that's another team. They, they have found, they have just found value. You see guys that Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, um, Nick nurse. I mean, is a perfect example of talent of, of found money. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. When I say you got to just keep getting on base, keep getting on base, keep getting on base. You got to keep getting the small things, right? Um, and and the big things obviously matter because you you're gonna end up with a LeBron James you, you know not very often um, so you got to get those right as well but getting the small things right just sort of sets the foundation for we're gonna continually be successful we're gonna create a mentality of success we're going to build on a young core and we're gonna add and, and build out and do this and do that and, and I think that's something that that's you know, sorry to get into what my personal basketball philosophy no, is, but, but th- that to me is, is something that as I went through Cleveland, I thought, you know, they, they haven't really connected on a lot of things, you know, Garland, what, what is Darius Garland? Who is Colin Sexton? Are these contributing players that they, those are still lingering questions? Uh, but you know, a guy like Dylan Wendler, I mean, maybe I made too much of him. Maybe I took up 10 minutes on Dylan Wendler, but uh, it, if you can get if if you can get that value out of a Dylan Wendler who has basically found money when he's picked, I, I think he was the last pick in the first round. I, if I no, he was the twenty sixth pick. If you can get found money in a rotation player out of a Dylan Wendler, that's a big win for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so I think that's over the next couple of seasons, it's that honing on that focus on like how can we win these little transactions? How can we get a restricted free agent? How can we get player X, player Y? Uh, and eventually just build a rotation, whether it involves Sexton, whether it involves trading him, Garland, same thing. Uh, it's just consistently winning, you know, each little tiny part of roster construction. And see, I'm glad, again, you're giving me just another brilliant segue. Thanks, so, Alex. In terms of the front office hitting singles, kind of working their way to those home runs, not making these big, you know, boom or bust trades that usually with a team like that in those situations will go for the latter. But what Let's just kind of steer to the Cavs front office. We can kind of get back to Porter, the young guys, and kind of the future, the general direction. But, like, let's kind of go on where we're at right now. We got Kobe Altman, um, you know, started June 19th with fire. We got David Griffin and then was made permanent um, on the 24th of 2017. And then you obviously had a couple coaches from that point. 
Ty Ty Lu, um, John Beeline. What what are, we, what are you thinking as far as Beeline before Bickerstaff, Bickerstaff, all the decisions there? Because I mean, Beeline was heavily a college coach, wasn't that his kind of career before um, coming to the NBA? I wasn't really familiar with him outside the NBA bubble, but yeah. I just thought that he didn't fit. Just I'm always leery of college coaches in the NBA in general because the culture is so different. But but what were your thoughts on that and, and really on Kobe Alban in general? Let's just kind of go into the front office here. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, you got you got to hit singles, and Baylon is he's this whole thing. I mean, oh, my bad, yeah, huh? Baylon is he's 67 years old. He's been coaching in college for 40 years. He coached at Richmond and Canassus and a million other places. No, most notably, coached at Michigan. Um, for you know 10 or 12 years however long he was there and, and took him to some final fours and appearance in the title game blah 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 <laughs> but the point is is and, and okay let's let's step back from that for a second and, and okay. say okay you got a small you got a young roster you got a bunch of young guys you got uh, a rookie point guard you got a second year shooting guard we, we don't really know what this team is okay what do we need we need discipline we need somebody who's going to instill kind of this idea of okay, this is what we do. This is how we play. This is Cleveland basketball. And, and that's kind of, as you sort of conjure that mental image, if you squint hard enough, that guy's John Bayline, that and, and he is just, you know, he's sort of the quintessential old grouchy college coach. Now, that backfired. I mean, that is playing major simple. way it, yeah. in a major way. He didn't connect with whether it was a power dynamic, whether it was, you know, I mean, calling people slugs or thugs or whatever it was, <laughs> right. the, 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 that dynamic was just awful. It just didn't sit well with, with the young guys. It didn't sit well, particularly with the older guys. And it just never, um, it never materialized as something that was going to work for them. So you kind of hit the reset button with, the, uh, with America's interim head coach, baby Bickerstaff, <laughs> right? Um, and, oh. and and Bickerstaff says, "Well, I'm not really the interim coach. I'm going to be the permanent coach." And I, I suppose that remains to be seen. I, um, Bickerstaff has has been several places and, and and never really been the permanent solution. So I think at some point you kind of have to look to that permanent solution, that next. Uh, that next iteration of, of what the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be. And, you know, whether that's a, a young, maybe that's a Jay Wright from Villanova. Maybe that's a, an assistant who comes out of a successful organization. You know, we, we've heard some Spurs names comes up. We've heard some Raptors names come up when you start looking at these head coaching searches, whether it's a guy who they pull out of British basketball, like Nick Nurse. I mean, there, there are no shortage of, good coaches. Now the key is going to be finding a coach who's going to sort of accentuate this talent, who's going to help develop a culture, who's going to do, you know, there, well, I said there are a bunch of good coaches. There aren't just Greg Popovich's hiding under a rock guys who are going to instill culture overnight. Um, and, and so I, I think, you know, I haven't been necessarily super high on the things they've done. I thought taking Sexton, Probably wouldn't have been what I've done. Like I said, I saw the draw, and I understand that you know you you that you you want this player, you want the potential for a guy who can be a scorer. Um, you know, maybe maybe Shea Gilgis Alexander could have been that guy. Um, maybe Michael Porter. Maybe, you know, sure. There there were other guys on the board, and and I think you, you know that Shea is probably the guy I go with there. Maybe 
maybe Michael Bridges. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't in the chair at the time. Um, and then the Garland <laughs> pick, the Garland pick, it's that's kind of that same bummer when, you know, you're sitting there with Derek. You got Darius Garland, who who may yet develop, despite being the worst player in the NBA according to VORP and PIPM, and you know, win shares and and all the the advanced numbers say he's number four twenty eight of four twenty eight. There's still a player in there that that is developable, but at the same time, you had a you had a Brandon Clark sitting there and. We don't have to go into the fact that Brandon Clark went 21st when it was pretty clear there were players that could have impacted. Now, that's my personal philosophy, sort of my departure is like, I just want guys who can play ball. So maybe a Brandon Clark at age 22 is a little bit better to me than uh, Darius Garland, who's kind of a fuzzy picture at 19. Uh, th- that's fine. I-, I-, I think that the key is going forward is like, who are we? What are we going to do? What are we going to continue to develop? Who is our core? And I think making that decision, particularly in year three for Colin Sexton, is who is he? Is he a contributor? Is he a cavalier who we want to build around? And then the same thing in year two. I mean, you, you kind of just have to put the weight onto Darius Garland and see who he is. And then, of course, uh, and I'm going to tra- I'm going to do a little transition for you. You get to, I love it. You get to Kevin Porter Jr. and People I've talked to love this guy. Um, Joe Varden said on the Joe Varden and the Athletics said something, and you know I'd kind of heard this sentiment echoed as well. He said they believe this is the guy. They believe this is a guy you can build around. And, and you know when you the counting stats weren't amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but this was a player who's incredibly skilled, a great handle, could get into his jump shot, could do a lot of NBA relevant things. The one big knock on him, there were some character issues, which are so hard to get into and so hard to sort of ascertain what the, right. what's the truth and what, you know, who said this about what, but the other thing was he was really turnover prone. Now that's proven to be true. But when you look at the total package of Kevin Porter, what you see is a very good player. Six foot five, got a big body, can play a little bit of the two, a little bit of the three, is pretty aggressive as an on-ball defender, you know, kind of too aggressive, but in a way that <laughs> when you look at him, you see, okay, that's a rookie. We can back him off. Again, he's a young guy. He's 20 years old. Um, he showed this ability to be a catch-and-shoot guy. I mean, he shot 40% on catch-and-shoot threes. He was 74th in, uh, in his percentile and assist percentage. Um, he shot 68.7% in the restricted area. Like cool. when you when you just start to get the full picture of, of what Kevin Porter is, you think, okay, that's a great player. Uh, in the last 15 games after Jordan Clarkson was traded, he averaged 12.3 points, which was a little bit up from his 10-point average. He also averaged 3.2 assists, which is a full assist up, and 1.0 steals. So after Jordan Clarkson got traded, he – bumped up on those minutes he kind of got to see this this breath of life breathe into him and he really took advantage including a you know a couple big outbursts i think he had a 30 point game in there as well so uh i really like kevin porter and i I know that buried the lead really late i think if you're looking at any of these three players it's entirely possible that the third guy they drafted is the best player is the best combo guard of the group um i think that's very very possible um and 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 like i said you know there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh soul searching to kind of figure out what this team is but 
Kevin Porter has come on. He has performed. Uh, he has shown ability to do things. And that 68% in the, in the restricted area, you know, that, that kind of shooting, being able to get to the rim, being able to get to the free throw line, uh, sh- you know, didn't shoot tremendously well as a shooter, as a, as a guy off the dribble, uh, kind of suffered there. And of course, turned the ball over quite a bit, but, uh, I, like I said, that this is a guy that I love. Yeah, I'm big on him as well, um, especially for someone being picked with the last pick of the first round and playing arguably, well, not arguably if he was one of the worst players in basketball, playing better than a guy you picked with the sixth pick overall or the fifth pick in in, in Garland. So he definitely shown. I guess for me, a lot of the versatility, I mean, he some knocks, if there were any, were that, you know, in scoring efficiency, isolations, he was a 39th percentile um, pick and roll ball handler. Um, he was a, the 27th percentile. And then he was the 21st percentile in dribble handoffs. But even on the outside looking in, um, on closeouts, attacking those, he shot just 41%. And, you know, this is a rookie year, so he had more turnovers than assists at that point. But at the same time, he got to the free throw line really well. And you were saying, like, I think, what, he drew a foul on over 10% of his drives, and that was 20th among 144 players who logged at least 20, 200 drives um, last season. And I'm using that from a nylon calculus on, on numbers on that. But um, he's someone with the size and the frame that you could see as being someone who can initiate offense, obviously create his own shot, um, I'm not too high on as far as uh, college scouting, but I watched some, like, you know, you obviously looked at the work done by Red Team Scouting and also looked at some YouTube videos because, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, the bootleg uh, college uh, scouting <laughs> guys. <laughs> but I can say from watching those on YouTube and, and seeing his shooting form now, he's definitely improved his release point. Um, It definitely looks a little bit higher. His jump shot looks a little more, I guess, compact. Um, There's was- a lot of moving going around on that. Yeah, there was. It was always pretty sweet, though. There was all. It was wrong, you know, but it was wrong in such a way that when you looked at it, you were like, "Ooh, there's something there." And the same, the same was very true of like his handle. He, he tight handle. Guy could get in and out of spaces with his dribble. There are just. Like you said, yeah, he's not going to be a primary initiator. He's not going to be a guy who's running 15 or 20 pick and rolls in a game, but he has some isolation utility. He's got a great handle. He knows how to get into space and that improvement to that release point, getting that release point up high, being able to shoot and being able to get into that motion quickly, which is something he's always done, just gives him this versatility as a score that I think is like, it's, it's pretty, it's, he, he's going to be a really good player and, Corbin, I, I mean, we're what the fifty-five minute mark of this podcast or oh, whatever. Oh wow! <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah. I'm, maybe I'm going to say something that that uh, you know maybe nobody's going to hear, but I think it's entirely possible that Kevin Porter, two seasons from now, is the best player on the Cavaliers and is in that in that hunt for being one of the the better young players um, on this. I'm um, not just on this roster, but you know, one of the better young guards. The the kind of under he'll be twenty three in in two seasons. You know, wow. if if he could be one of the better the one of the better young under twenty three guys in the league, I, I don't think that's out of the question. No, listen, I mean, whether or not they get this far, and mind you, I love these extra long pods. I think it gives a lot of meat for my listeners here, so this is fine. But you better believe I will be retweeting the mess out of that quote. Um, so they, 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 they're not going to get the lead buried on that one. They're going to get that in the open and have to <laughs> listen to get your backing on that. But I have another question, follow-up on, on Porter, just from you, you know, putting a lot of work as far as scouting him and kind of seeing his play. He's not there, as you said, as someone who can run – 15 to 20 pick and no. rolls. He's not a Luka Doncic. That's not going to happen. You see no. him as like a Jimmy Butler kind of, and I don't mean to do like a direct player comp, but someone who you can look at and go, okay, you know what? He can be initiator enough that we can have, let's say, a scoring guard or a couple of spaces on the floor at the guard position. And yes, 
we're not running the offense through him like a LeBron James or like a point forward in that way, but someone who can get them into their offense, let's say like a Brandon Ingram this year. Yeah, I mean, he's going to, I think he's going to flourish beside a primary creator. I don't really see him in that Butler vein because Butler does so much initiating, particularly when he was in Philly. Like there was sure. so much weight on him. He, w- let me, let me just say that I don't think that's out of the question. I, okay. but, but player development like that that far into the future, I don't really know. I mean, who he's going to be, what they're going to emphasize for him. Uh, I don't see him being that guy next year, but I do see him as a player who, beside a, a, a really good primary creator, somebody who can warp a defense, he really he's a he's a hell of a cutter. I mean, he is he's explosive. He's smart. He knows how to get into space. He knows how to use his body and his physicality when he gets into space, and being able to attack a warped defense. Mm-hmm. is going to make him really, really dangerous. I don't know that, you know, we talked about at the top, like I don't know that there is a is a defense warper on this roster, but I kind of see him as like that secondary option who's really kind of frightening when he gets the ball with a live bounce and you don't really know what he's going to do. Um, kind of if, let's say like the offensive game of like a Jalen Brown, like a guy who is not, he he's going to find, 15 to 18 points a night and you're going to go like, Oh yeah, he had that one really good cut. And Oh yeah. He hit that corner three over there. Oh, he took it off the bounce over here. You know, just, just accumulate, cobbling together. And, and two of those plays, you just go like, Oh yeah, that was a really good play. So that's kind of that offensive game. Now, Defensive versatility, not not the same ballpark, not, nothing like that. But when you think about that offensive game, think about a guy who who can find it off cuts, can find it as a catch and shoot guy, can do a little of this and a little of that, and maybe even you know he he, he had some stretches where he, he passed the ball pretty well. So it's not out of the question for him to be a ball mover. But I, I don't see him as like a primary guy. But I see him yeah. as a really strong secondary option who who can put pressure on defense. Okay. I, I'm totally behind that. I mean, I'm excited about Porter. With your analysis, I'm even more excited because I did have some doubts on, like you said, some of the initiating. But he definitely was the most promising of these caps. And speaking of that, I'm going to put you in uh, just, I guess, a, a little bit of uh, under the fire here real quick. Uh, All right. You're, you're Kobe Allman here. You're looking at this roster. We've already pretty much established that, let's say, two years' time, we're, we're saying that Kevin Porter Jr. is the best player in the cap. So, that that is saying that he will still be on the Cavs. Let's say you still want to keep uh, J.B. Bickerstaff as the coach of the future. No, I'm playing. But moving forward, like, <laughs> with this team, evaluating the roster, let's just look at the young guys. I mean, we're going to worry about the fringe. Who are you considering guys who are going to stick around? I mean, even if – I even put this under you as far as they're under the gun, but let's say you had to pick right now between Garland and Sexton, and you could keep all of them or, or you want to send everyone away but Porter, but who are you looking on this roster? Okay, you know what? This guy – is going to be on the next great Cavs team, or this guy is going to be someone that the front office should want to build around or build with as a, as a big uh, piece. I mean, I think Porter's the number one guy. I I think my idea, if I'm sitting in this chair is who, who gives us the most paths to success? You know, who can I put the most different uh, lineups around and, and still be able to cobble together a successful team? And I think Kevin Porter's that number one guy. I think there's pretty easy to see, uh, how Kevin Porter, maybe not as as the number one guy or even the number two guy, but it's pretty easy because of his size, um, because of his explosiveness, because of his catch-and-shoot ability. I think he's the easiest to just sort of form into, okay, he can do a lot of things. Um, beyond that, I mean, it, it just so much, Corbin, is going to depend on what happens in this draft. 
uh, are they going to go after a James Wiseman, a big, you know, kind of bruising old school center from Memphis who we didn't get to see a ton of, but what we did see was a guy who, you know, was going to use his size, going to impose himself. Maybe it is a LaMelo ball. I mean, that's look, look here. That's the big thing is like, okay, LaMelo ball probably is the best player in this class where we're sitting right now. Okay. LaMelo ball is also a guard. I mean, if you're the Cavs and you're sitting at number one, do you take this best player available? Do you take uh, LaMelo Ball or do you look for an Isaac Okoro or, a, or a, a, you know, another wing type guy who fits in beside him? And I think that's really tough. I mean, I, I think if you think if you're if I'm Colby Altman, if whoever's Colby Altman, uh, if I think that. LaMelo Ball is the best player in the draft and a player who has a lot of potential to be an all-star, which, you know, you look around the NBA Twitter sphere, Sam Bassini, you know, the, the guys at Draft Express, yep. they, he's really grown on a lot of people. I mean, myself included, I think there's a lot to like there. Um, do you, do you give up on what is possibly the best player in the draft because he doesn't fit with your roster construction you're not necessarily in love with? I mean, that that that's the the tough question that there is no answer to because they have to make that decision. And and from where I'm sitting, mm-hmm. listen, we'll we'll figure out something to do with Sexton and Garland. But if there's a Lamelo Ball on the table, maybe he's not. Uh, they guaranteed home run like Luca or like Zion, but maybe, you know, from where I'm sitting right now as, as just me, I think he's the best player in the draft. So I really can't see a scenario where I pass on the best player in the draft just because it doesn't fit with my roster construction. And uh, you kind of get into this idea of like this, the past sends the, the sunk cost or whatever. Um, how much are you going to let it dictate what you do in the future? And I think that's something the Cavs really have to look at is w- how much of this is sunk cost. Maybe none of it. Maybe they can figure out a way to do it. But I, I you know, the more I watched today and the more I'd kind of just gone back over my notes and looked at it, I, I think there's some sunk cost here. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of figuring out which of these guys is going to be on what you said, that next great Cleveland Cavaliers team. And and boy, I'm glad I don't have to decide it. Oh yeah. No, it, that that's tragic to me. I was going to say, you do such a great job of transitions. I was going to make the next one. We're looking forward. We have, let's say we just keep Kevin Porter. Boom. Because I'm in the same uh, mindset as you in ter- in regards to the fact that with Cleveland, wherever I'm in the draft, I, I'm, I'm not looking, oh, you know, we already have a guard here. We already have a guard there. Maybe Kobe Altman should because you drafted two guards who essentially played the same position and neither have really stood out for, you know, any good reason as far as, I mean, we can't, we're not nominating either of them as someone that we're, they're both right now could easily be expendable for another guard if the shoe fits. But, right. you know, that maybe for Altman, he might be forced just to protect his job. Hey, if I draft three straight point guards, this doesn't look too good for me because it's a sign that I failed in one of the two, which in my opinion, yeah, he probably did miss on that. But you're, you're the draft expert here. Like I said, you're one of the founders of Red Team Scouting. Uh, I, of course, you knew we had easy for draft prowess. I don't want to go too deep into this because, I mean, I wouldn't be a great co-host if I didn't keep a little for you on another appearance on this show. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing my job here. But um, in regards to the Cavs, you mentioned LaMelo Ball. If he's available, he, being the one of the, the, the best prospect um, in the draft, if the Cavs can take them, they should. I mean, you have they have the, you you have them as a forty percent chance, or according to where they are, of getting them one pick. Who are some names? You only you don't even throw like 
two or three, aside from him, that you could see work on Cleveland. And maybe not a perfect fit, but just someone that you're like, okay, you know what? I, I There is a universe where a, a James Wiseman fits here, where an Anthony Edwards, who I don't think fits, but Anthony Edwards can 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 come out as the, the lead offensive initiator that Kevin Porter Jr. can mesh perfectly with. Like, who are some guys you see in this draft that you look at and go, okay, Cleveland might be a spot for them possibly? Well, right off the top, if I don't mention this one name, uh, I'll be I'll be shunned from the red team scouting slack. So I got I got to start with Denny Avdija, who plays in Israel, plays for Maccabi Tel Aviv. Uh, Denny Avdija is a six foot nine kind of combo forward, figuring out his, his, what he's going to do. Really smart player, one of the best high IQ guys in this draft. Um, doesn't necessarily put up huge defensive numbers, but has really good positioning. I mean, it, I think he. You know, I think he's averaging one block per 36 or something like that, but uh, a block and a steal, something like that. So it's not spectacular numbers, but when you watch the film, he's a guy who really knows where to be. He can push the ball on the break. He he has some of those guard talents. Um, so I think that's an interesting fit. I mean, you know, he, you, that's probably more what you're looking at if you draft the, in the number four spot versus the number one spot. Similarly, uh, Onyeko Kongwu, uh, another um, – uh, another Southern Cal guy, kind of a rim runner, bouncy, probably the best rim protector in this class. Um, I, I think that, you know, okay, we've got 10 centers on the roster, but <laughs> if, if Onyeko Kongwu is the guy who comes to you, um, I'm not super in love with drafting a rim runner, but it is a feasible option. Um, I, I think it's a, a guy who they can explore. Um, you know, we talked about LaMelo Ball um, and then the other guy I have to mention, one of my personal favorite players in this draft, Isaac Okoro out of Auburn, um, forward who hasn't really grown into his legs as a shooter just yet, but if he does, has the potential to be a point-of-attack defender, a guy who can tackle those big assignments night to night, um, a guy who gets the line a lot, um, so help kind of help uh, ease that pressure by putting some some pressure on the defense and being able to get into some seams and attack there. Uh, he would have to find a shot. That would be a big deal about where Okoro goes, and that's going to be one of the big deciding factors is how much do you think about, you know, how much do you think that's going to bother him. But uh, kind of a guy cut from that bigger wing mold who is going to draw tough assignments night to night, going to be able to guard the point of attack pretty good. Um pretty good team defender as well. So, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, there's so many different options there. You got Denny Aftesia, who's this kind of offensive uh, changeling who can sort of fit in where he needs to go. And then you've got Okongwu, who's the rim runner. And then you've got Okoro, who's kind of the wing. And then you could even see a guy like Killian Hayes. I mean, uh, Hayes probably gets Colby Altman fired because he is a point guard, you know, played in, <laughs> uh, played in, in France this year. And um, I mean, sorry, excuse me, playing Germany this year, but he is a uh, he's a guy who probably gets some fire, but he fits into the mold of of he can do a lot of things. He's six five. He's rangy. He's got a good wingspan. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He can initiate. He can play off the ball. He can do this. He can do that. Um, but, you know. He, he you probably get fired if you draft three point guards in a row. So I was gonna say it's a tough <laughs> minefield for Altman coming yeah. up. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I listen. 
consequences be damned. Uh, if I'm sitting there with a the number one pick, I probably just take Lamella Ball and say, okay, this is the player that I think has the best chance of being an all star. I can't live in the past, and I can't get mired down with the fact that I have a couple of combo guards. I have to figure out what to do with them, and maybe that's trade them or whatever. But if I'm I'm sitting there with that number one pick, you know, the, and we're still, it feels like. 15 months out from the draft because it's going to happen in October this year. Um, but you know, that, that it's still without being able to see these workouts that have gone on yet with that, without, you know, having the, the one-on-ones having the, the pro days and all this stuff, it, the information has become a little bit scarce. I mean, we've been through at this point, I've been through most of the film for most guys in the top 30. Mm-hmm. So I kind of know who they are, but that perception always starts to change. And what is actually draft season? I mean, you're going to see guys kind of rise and fall on. Oh, man, did you hear he hit, he hit 15 jumpers in a row, hit 15 three-pointers in a row in a private <laughs> workout, which is always confusing to me because it's like you have a body of work. Why do you just base it on the the workout video? But whatever. Exactly. Um, anyway, a lot's going to change. I think there are a lot of different options, but you know, I don't envy the person who has to make that decision. I mean, neither do I. And unfortunately, you know, Colby Allman already has a checkered uh, history, you know, he hasn't been put in the best uh, situation, but uh, I don't think he's also made the best of it um, in terms of turning it around. So it will be interesting to see what he does. Um, you know, we've we kind of managed to go an hour and some change deep on some several different areas about the Cavs um, in terms of future and, and everything going on there. Do you see a situation where they can turn it around in the next, I don't know, two years or so? Like as far as a... Um, like, looking on, what what do you think is their ultimate future? Is it bright? Because, I mean, I was looking, I did a podcast recently with, um, actually, Eric, you know, of the Timberwolves, and it, it was in such a weird space, where they are right now, who they're building around, where it's kind of fundamentally flawed. It's like, okay, you know, th- there's, a, there's a universe, I'm sure, where this can work out well for this team, but as currently constructed, they can expect to be in a similar situation to slightly better or even slightly worse, you know, in two years' time out. Looking at this team, what do you project them? And, and, and modestly, I mean, we're not, you know, fortune tellers here, but, like, what do you think? Is there a way that you could say, hey, they could turn it around, or do you kind of see more of the same barring any extreme moves or, or roster turnover? Well, they don't have a Carl Anthony Towns, and that's a big thing. Like they, <laughs> they, they don't have an, an anchor point in saying, okay, this is this is a generational talent, or this is a really even just a really good player, all star level player. Um, that and that makes team roster construction a little bit cleaner for a team like Minnesota. Is like at least we have an idea of who our best player is. Okay, so now how do we start to fill in the gaps around that? I think the hard part about Cleveland is they got to figure out who their best player is, and and right now, you know. Who's who is it going to be three years from now? You know, I said maybe it's going to be Kevin Porter, but maybe it's going to be Darius Garland, or maybe it's going to be Colin Sexton. And the problem is, you just don't know. So you're drafting with so many ideas. You're you're signing free agents with so many ideas as to what can happen. Um, I am not super in love with this core. No, I, I think they're probably in the bottom half of the league in terms of their projection going forward. I mean, when you compare them to teams like you know, you got New Orleans, you got Dallas, you got Boston, you got all these teams with incredible young talent. Um, and, and I kind of see Cleveland as a team with more questions than answers right now. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you. It's just, it's so much that you said questions that if this happens, if we're fifths, we, you know, there's, there's a saying for a reason on that. And I mean, with the overall direction, I can't say I, I trust Altman. I trust him about as much as I trust Bickerstaff. Um, I guess I can just 
ask kind of one final question and then kind of just throw to you if you have any more topics kind of go into. Uh, what will you be looking for next season? Obviously, Kevin Porter uh, Jr. is a big um, focal point as well as I, I assume whoever the Cavs draft, you know, next year. And by next year, I mean October. But um, what wow. do you look? Yeah, exactly. Development wise, wow. are you interested? It is. It's crazy. So I'm well, looking so. like. <laughs> Today was the draft. We're recording this on Thursday, the twenty fifth. Today was the was the the day of the NBA draft. And for guys like me, I mean, you know, Estacio, all the guys, all the great people who we're sort of adjacent to. Yeah. Um, this is the day we circle on the calendar, and it's like, okay, we we work our butts off to that, and now it's just been we just kind of been caught in this holding pattern for a while. I've I've watched these guys so much, and and <laughs> and, the, and the draft is still like, I mean, we didn't have March Madness, we didn't have anything like it just it just kind of zoned out, and now we've got three months till the draft. So this is going to be one of the most interesting classes in terms of coverage because they have been picked clean i mean you know we have all watched all the film and everybody knows all the ins and outs and they, it, we've kind of settled into this like uh malaise at this point where it's like eh, okay let's wait till workouts before we kind of pick this draft thing back up um but yeah that that i'm interested to see what happens i think the biggest thing that i want to see is who's going to initiate the offense who's who's going to initiate the offense and who's going to be a focal point of the offense and um just kind of figuring out how to mesh those two things and how to make that work in a way that is conducive uh, for the team is going to be tough. And and then I think secondarily to that is like, well, what are we going to get for the, for our, what's our Kevin love package? What can we get back that we like? It would not overly shock me to see him get dealt on draft day, um, see Kevin love move, but I think it would be a little bit shocking. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it like it wouldn't blow me away, but I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with the salary cap, and and that's by no means, by no means, is, is that is set in stone at this point. And I know teams are stressing about that. So uh, there, there's a world where they they end up with a completely different roster to start the next season, or a completely different construction of of who's playing where and maybe we do get to see more Larry Nance at center minutes or whatever. Um, and I think that's the most interesting thing is like. It's June 25th. Where do we go from June 25th to December 10th? And and, yeah. and then and then when we get to December 10th, now what happens? Who yeah. who who are we run our offense through? So there's a lot of really intriguing questions about this roster and something that I think really merits watching. I, I actually had a good time watching this team and I watched mm-hmm. a couple of games and I'll probably watch a couple more even though I don't have to prepare for anything. It's just kind of <laughs> getting my mind right as to you know, as we get into that draft season, that question of now who fits becomes really pertinent to, to what we do. See, another example why you're the best in my biz. You're going to willingly go and watch some more Cleveland Cavaliers basketball <laughs> just for the fun of it, just to wrap <laughs> your head around it. I love I, it, man. I just miss it, dude. I watched watched that Lakers-Clippers game on – I had it saved on my TiVo, and I just watched it like a couple days ago, and I was like, yeah, I remember when basketball happened. That was awesome. So <laughs> – Dude, it is it is honestly insane. I mean, I could take a brief moment to share, like, between, obviously, the excitement of getting ready for these pods, just so I can give an excuse to watch it, because I watch it anyway, but you're right, just watching League Pass or random ones on YouTube, I found myself watching the 1992 NBA draft on Facebook. <laughs> it, just, it just popped up on my timeline. And... <laughs> to Gary, uh, Gary Payton? Is, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I was checking. I was looking at the the scouting report for Lafonso Ellis and the trade <laughs> the Knicks made for Rolando Blackman and how that was going to be a big Shaq, for the that's Knicks. the Shaq draft. Sorry, I, was, I couldn't remember uh, if that was the Gary Payton draft for the Shaq draft. No, I think you. I think what? But Payton went eighty. I think it was eighty nine, right? Just before, was a couple it? years before. Yeah. Not not too weren't too off. It was it was it was right there. Peyton, but Peyton ninety draft. Ninety two draft Shaquille O'Neal ones in morning. There we go. Yeah, and I just missed those. I was watching more like uh Christian Leitner, uh Lafonso Ellis. Um I heard Jim Jackson he was talking about how Michael Jordan and others that shooting guards didn't just have to be shooters, they could also be like initiators. It was funny to hear in the late nineties how the game was evolving even then. Like, oh, guess what? As a shooting guard, I can bring the ball up. I don't have to just shoot the ball. And I was like Wow, the game has just exploded in the last thirty years. God, there's a good looking at that draft class. Robert Ory going eleventh is criminal. Uh, Robert Ory was, was a tremendous player. I think he's ranked third in VORP in that class and second in win shares, all that. But uh, yeah, just you just give me an idea. You're you're coming on for a mock draft. <laughs> I, I love it. I like love a ninety, but it's gonna happen. <laughs> well, I gotta say. <laughs> I could keep talking with you for hours, man. You know you're a lot of fun, a wealth of, of basketball knowledge, and I've already gobbled up an hour and changed your time. It's going to be a great podcast for uh, the listeners. Guys, like I said, guys, the gals in for a treat. But um, Alex, I'm going to let you go tonight. I appreciate your time. <laughs> Please know you will be coming back on. I've already put it out onto the podcast universe right now, but um, it's going to happen again. So uh, be ready for that. But thank you so much yeah, for man. your time. Alex. No problem. I really appreciate that. No and, problem. And, and listen, you have anything um, to plug? Obviously, you're doing so much prep and, and prep work in such anticipation for another, obviously, three months from now. But for the NBA draft, uh, share a little bit more, uh, just again, of the work that you do, you and Asaki Allen. And Con- you just have such a great team. Um, and guys who I happen to also doubly know, so it makes it even better. Yeah, I mean, we we have all branched out in different different areas. I've been getting my master's degree, and uh, Connor is full time student coaching, and it's been a little bit of everything all over the place. Our guy Josh is he, he moved and got a cat, and it's just been it's been a, a crazy time for us. But I think we're going to zero in and, and start focusing on the draft probably in about I want to say September. Um, it, Got time. we're all kind of chilling at the moment and and because nothing's changed like i said because there's no workouts or anything it's just kind of letting it ride talking with people kind of figuring out the stories and and who likes who and uh, all that kind of stuff right now but uh, probably in about september you'll see something get fired up and then we'll just get back to get back to churning out the content and you know you know buddy i'll, I'll do podcasts whenever you need me so you just you just let me know I appreciate it, man, but that's a dangerous thing to say to me. I'll take it. <laughs> I would sound like you all the time, man. But, um, again, thanks a lot, man. It's always a pleasure with you on. Um, and follow at Alex West Red Team. I mean, great introspective, just deep dive stuff, all right? And, listen, I know he's busy right now, but one of the best guys in the biz. You'll, you'll learn a lot just, just by virtue of being a follower. So make sure well, you do bro. that. Of course, of course, man. And listen, if you if you want to get some half baked uh, takes from a guy who is in love with inefficient shot creation, you can follow me um, at Corbin NBA. Um, I can promise that I will give you something. I don't know what that'll be, but you'll get something from me. So uh, <laughs> make sure <laughs> make sure to do that. Um, and again, just thank y'all for tuning in. Um, follow Hoopball at Hoopball Tweets and 
at hoop dash ball or not at hoop dash ball, but hoop dash ball.com. Um, we're transitioning, got big things coming down the pipeline in anticipation of the season restarting. Make sure you tune in for that. Just great NBA coverage all around multiple team podcasts. Of course, you still get your fantasy NBA perspective and you need that as well. So hoop ball, hoop dash ball.com at hoop ball tweets for the latest then. And aside from that, y'all, I- I'm going to talk to y'all later. Uh, take care, keep yourself safe and uh, catch you on the other side. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.